0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So what would God have to do to really get your attention? I mean really get your attention. What would God have to do in your life? And if He truly got your attention, how would you act and how would you react when He finally has your attention? We've come to that point in the book of Revelation where God isn't being subtle any longer. He's really, in many respects, worked subtly over the last thousands of years and working through the Holy Spirit, but now he is calling upon people everywhere to pay attention to what's happening. In fact, his messages are loud and clear. It's time. If you haven't, get right with God because Revelation is letting us know time is running out. Now, we have looked at the six sealed judgments that God is going to bring on the earth during this final seven year tribulation period, what I'm just simply calling the last of the last days. And this period leads up to the return of Jesus. He's coming back, and it leads up to his second coming. Now, as I mentioned, the seventh of the sealed judgments. Then opens up the next series of judgments called trumpet judgments. And then the seventh of the trumpet judgments will open up the next series of judgments um, that, that are called um, the, the woe judgments or are called, excuse me, the bowl judgments. And so today, we are looking at the trumpet judges, uh, uh, judgments. Excuse me. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go on your phone to the UVersion Bible app, or you can go on to a physical Bible. And we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And let's see, it says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was what? Everybody say it together. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This verse stands in stark contrast to everything we've already read. Right back in chapters 4 and chapter 5, we see there's a lot of action. There's a lot of commotion, a lot of noise. There's a lot of volume in heaven. As you have angels and living creatures and elders um people praising god and celebrating so there's an incredible amount of volume in heaven but now all of a sudden it's silent in heaven for about half an hour now just just side note almost have you ever tried that have you ever truly tried to be silent for a half an hour i mean sit there Do nothing. No phone, no computer, no iPad, no TV, nothing. I don't know if you've ever tried it. It's not an easy thing to do. And in fact, if you're like, oh, that's an easy piece of cake. Okay, now try this. Gather everybody you know together, and everybody sit there and stare at each other and be silent. In fact, if you have a small group, try it this week for for about half an hour. See how it goes in your group. It's pretty difficult. So imagine, we're here in heaven, and nobody is saying a word, which is mind-boggling to me. I think there's this silence of awe as people are looking at the scroll, anticipating what is coming next. Zephaniah, in fact, says it this way, thinking about the judgment of God, says, stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. So, you have this silence in heaven. It's this calm before the storm of judgment that is coming. And and there's this calm, and so all are silent in in awe and in anticipation. Revelation chapter 8, verse 2 and I, and who's the I? It's the Apostle John. He's the one who's been caught up to heaven to see what is happening in the last of the last days. And he said, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, theologians will call these seven angels the presence angels. There's different angels we see throughout Scripture, and we see they have different ranks and different positions and different identities. Some angels are called uh, principalities. Others are called powers. Others are called rulers. Others are called dominions. You have some who are referred to as archangels. You have some who are called seraphim and cherubim there's so many different types of angels, but here we have the seven angels. And this is just Chris's little tangent thinking, I wonder how this all worked. God's created all these different angels. And I just wonder, this isn't scriptural, but I'm just wondering, like, okay, when God created the angels and, you know, they have different roles and responsibilities, and I wonder, did God create these seven angels and say, hey, listen, your job, your duty, you're gonna chill out for all, you know, for thousands of years. But when the time comes, I have a big job for you, you're gonna blow some trumpets. That's all you're gonna do. So till then, just hang out with me, chill out. But then when that time comes, you're gonna be the angels who get to blow the trumpets. And so anyway, that's just Chris's. Now you know my weirdness and how I see scripture sometimes. So anyway, these seven angels, what are they given? They're given seven what? Trumpets. Trumpets are the most significant in, uh, instrument with the people of Israel. They're used for so many purposes. They're used to call people together. They're used to declare that it's a time of war. Trumpets would be sounded for special times and for the festivals. At Mount Sinai, when God gave the law, a trumpet was, was blown. At Jericho, when the people of Israel were, were, were walking around the city and then they were getting ready to attack the city, a trumpet was, trumpets were sounded. Trumpets were blown when a king would be inaugurated or anointed. And so here we have silence in heaven for about half an hour, which some suggest is God's final, you know, uh, uh, offer of grace for people. In fact, I would just say this. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that God's never in a hurry to judge. And he always gives time. And in fact, God always gives warning. And God now has been waiting thousands of years, giving warning after warning after warning to repent of our sins and to turn to Jesus. But now, we've come to this final period of silence. John hears the trumpets, and the trumpets are indicating something critical, something important is coming your way. Let's see what that is. We're going to pick up in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3. It says, another angel... Who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all god's people on the golden altar in front of the throne and the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of god's people went up before god from the angel's hand and so here we have imagery that some of you might be familiar with if you've studied or read through the Old Testament. You have imagery uh, of what happens at the tabernacle or the temple of, of the Israelite people. So at the tabernacle or temple, there were two altars. One of the altars was the, was the bronze brazen altar of sacrifice. That was on the outside of the temple. And then as you stepped into the holy place, inside the holy place, there was then another Altar. And there you had the golden altar of incense. And that's where uh, um, the incense was brought in, and then it goes up uh, to the Lord. And that took place, and that happened right outside of the curtains of the Holy of Holies. And so what would happen? The priest would take the coal from the altar of sacrifice, the bronze brazen altar. He would put a little, in, he would have this little incense burner, or a censer, as this verse says, He'd take that and then he would walk from the outer court into the holy place where there was the golden altar of incense. He would put the coal in that, in that uh, container. He would put that on that golden altar. He would sprinkle incense on it. And then the smoke that would go up as a result of that, was, was a, the scr- scriptures say, was a sweet aroma to God. And the scriptures tell us it was was the prayers of the saints, of the people of God, going up to God. And here it says that the angel had the incense mixed with the prayer of all the saints. That's the imagery. Now what are these prayers specifically and what does God do about their prayers? How does God answer them? Let's keep reading. Revelation chapter 8 verse 5 says, And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So we're getting ready for these these trumpets to come. What are we talking about here? Again, Old Testament imagery and ideas and language. Every year, a specific day of the year, which was called the Day of Atonement, the priest would take coal. He would put it in that censer or that incense burner, He would walk into the holy place, he would put the coal on that golden altar, and he would present it to the Lord to make atonement for the sins of the people. You see, it was that day of atonement where where the people's sin was judged, and then it was also forgiven, the day of atonement, making atonement for their sins. Uh, You might know know this day, it's referred to as Yom Kippur. But here's the twist that John sees. Instead of walking up to the throne, the censer and what's in it is hurled to the earth. And again, what happens at that altar? It's a place of judgment. And then ultimately on atonement, forgiveness. But here it doesn't make it to that point. In other words, it's just the moment of judgment. And notice that in this moment of judgment as the censer is hurled to earth, that there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a great earthquake, You see, the saints, we know from previous chapters in Revelation, the saints have been praying, God, how long? How long, O Lord, before you come through? How long, O Lord, before you answer our prayers? And God's answer really through the centuries has been, just wait, just wait, just wait. A day is coming, a day is coming. And now the prayers are going to be answered through this and through these judgments. See, I wonder if that's why there was silence in heaven, For about half an hour there was this realization everybody's been praying this but oh my goodness god's actually finally now going to do something he's finally going to move and act have you ever prayed and been like god would you answer these prayers God, I'm trying to be patient and loving and forgiveness, forgiving, and I still have persecution and people still coming at me and I'm still living this way. And maybe you've prayed, God, when are you going to vindicate, so to speak? And so maybe people are silent because they realize God's finally gonna move and act and he's gonna judge the earth and he's gonna vindicate the saints and he's gonna eradicate sin and he's going to wipe out Satan and he's gonna finally exalt Jesus, Finally. And so there's this sobering moment for all the people realizing we're here now. We're at this moment. Now, the trumpet judgments that we're going to read about are really divided into two groups. The first group of three are going to bring devastation upon the earth so that life becomes increasingly harsh The final three trumpet judgments, they're going to have such a terrible impact on people's bodies that that they're actually called or referred to as the woe judgments. Woe, woe, woe. And each judgment is the trumpet blaring, is a declaration that God telling us, time is running out. Time is running out. Let's continue. Verse 7. So the first angel now sounds his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass, all the green grass was burned up. The prophet Joel heard about this period of time called the day of the Lord. And God said to Joel, he said, I will cause wonders in heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. So you have the same language here. Think about how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of you might know. It was with fire from the sky. Think about the ten plagues of Egypt because in these chapters 8 and 9, you see a lot of reference, if you will, and imagery back to the ten plagues in Egypt. And one of the plagues that God sent upon Egypt was hail falling from the sky that just wreaked havoc upon Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly what this hail mixed with fire and blood is here in Revelation 8. We're not positive. It's hard to know. It could be related to verse five, which said there was thunder and there was lightning and there was an earthquake. Perhaps the earthquake is so violent across the world that there's volcanic eruptions that just explode on a worldwide scale, spewing out the lava and maybe hence the region, uh, the image of hail and fire of blood, maybe. Or maybe these are asteroids that are raining down upon the earth. Whatever it is, we do see the effects. And notice what it says about the effects. It says the trees, a third of them, are burned up. So you can imagine as we're entering in deeper into this tribulation period, a third of the trees are burned up. You know what that means? That means the cost of lumber is going to skyrocket. And practically speaking... And and that's going to have an increase on housing prices. So economically, this is going to have an impact. It tells us that the pasture lands are going to be burned up, a third of them, and all the green grass. And so think about the effects on the livestock and farming. So food production is impacted as well. And I just read these couple verses and I think, man, I know we trash our planet and we need to do better with it, But if you think we trash the planet, wait till the tribulation period and God starts doing some things, right? I mean, you think about this and I even think about it. Later it's going to tell us that the sun scorches humanity, scorches the earth. And and if we're worried about global warming now, wait till God gets involved. And in verse 8, it tells us now the second angel sounded his trumpet. And something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Notice, it doesn't actually say that a mountain fell into the sea. It says something like a mountain was thrown into a sea. And again, some people will speculate and say, well, maybe this is a giant meteor. Or perhaps it's, you know, a fallout from from oceanic uh, volcanoes. And maybe that's the case. I tend to think John would know what that looks like, he'd know what a meteor looks like, and if that was the case, he might have said so. But by the way John describes it, it's almost as if whatever he is seeing is something altogether different, and so he's just doing his best he can to describe whatever it is. Regardless in the the vagueness of that, regardless of that, but also notice there still is Precision in the judgments themselves. Verses 7-9 through nine tell us a third, a third, a third. A third are destroyed, a third are destroyed, a third are destroyed. And that makes me think, okay, this is God who's all sovereign. How big is your God? Can God do anything? In other words, I think God can isolate if he chooses. And he can judge in various sections of the earth. And he can be as precise as he chooses to be. John says the effects of this thing that is like a mountain hitting the sea is that with the places that it hits the water turns to blood. This is another judgment that reminds us of the ten plagues of Egypt and one of them was God turning the Nile River to blood. In fact, that's one of the reasons, this this section is one of the reasons that some people believe that we're literally talking about literal blood because it has a similar effect of what happened in the Nile River. Because when God turned the Nile River to blood, what happened to the animals in that particular water? Well, those animals or those fish, they died, which is what you would expect to see if all of a sudden the water turned completely to blood. And that's what John says here. He says, notice that a third of the ocean was turned to blood and it results in a third of marine life dying. Obviously, that's going to have an impact. It's going to impact the fishing industry. It's going to impact the food that the fishing industry provides the world. And also it says that a third of the ships are destroyed. Now, right now today, there's about 55,000 merchant ships, 100,000 total commercial ships. And, And just think about that for a second. You think we've had supply chain issues these last couple years? (laughs) Imagine 18,000 or 33,000 of the 100,000 ships being destroyed. It makes me think, man, I'm looking at this thinking, you know what, I might want to head back to Costco and go get some more TP, right? With the next trumpet, the judgments now move inland. Verse 10, it says, The third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Now, some people believe this third trumpet brings a meteor or asteroid to the earth. But here's what I want you to think about. This star is actually given a name, and what's the name it's given? What does it say there? Wormwood. Now, what's wormwood? Wormwood was a plant that has a root that excretes a dark green oil. And it, the word literally means because of what that plant is and what it does, the word means bitter or poisonous. It was also used, the word was also used as a metaphor for sin. And we know in Scripture that, that stars demons or, or, or fallen angels are referred to as stars and so many believe that this star here listed given a name is a demon by sent by god to do god's bidding and the result is whatever it is whatever the star is it poisons wormwood a third of the drinkable water now I want to give you just a, another tip to think about as we're going through revelation each week i seem to give you a, a tip or two uh, many theologians believe what god is doing through these judgments is he is targeting specific places in the world again a third a third a third where destruction is taking place and they'll cite this as one of the examples you know water turning to blood because normally, if, 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 if blood you know, impacted water and kind of went into wa- all the water, it would just kind of disperse out over a large body of water. But here we see the only practical way that a third of the waters you know, turned to blood, stay blood, is that a specific body of water has been turned to blood. Again, hopefully that makes sense a little bit. But again, this is contributing. This is what I want you to think about. It's contributing to the case that many people believe. God is shrinking the usable area of the globe. Now, why is he doing that? Because God is narrowing his focus down to a specific region in the world. Anybody want to take a guess what that region is? Anybody want to take a guess? We're talking Israel, the Middle East, Israel. We know Israel and Babylon will remain intact and occupied to the very end of the tribulation where the final battle is going to take place between Israel and Babylon, between good and evil, between God and Satan. So in preparation for that climactic battle, God is eliminating habitable places upon the rest of the planet. So that step by step, He is calling people's attention. He is drawing people, leading people to this area, this specific land, Let's focus on the land of Israel, and we're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks. What do we know? Scripture tells us a third of the land burned up, a third of the oceans turned to blood, and as a result, a third of the creatures in the sea die. But then we move on. Now we get to the fourth angel, verse 12, and it says, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night so at this fourth judgment you now have the sun and the moons and the stars that are affected everything just goes dimmer everything again it's a throwback to the plagues in egypt where god brought darkness upon the land and whether this is the consequences of nuclear war and you know, nuclear fallout or whether it's the consequences of just all this destruction that's happening and, and naturally what comes as a result of that or whether it's direct intervention by God, regardless what we see is that the light is diminished And just practically speaking, when the light upon planet Earth is diminished in this way, one of the things that you can, I imagine, is going to begin to happen is that the temperature of the planet will begin to go down, which is going to then create a new batch of problems. Jesus said this about this period of time when he was talking to his disciples. He said, there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And here on Earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. And people are going to be what? What does it say? People are going to be, they're going to be terrified. Why? Because of what they're seeing coming upon the earth. For the powers in the heavens will be shaken. This is what Jesus tells us. This is what John is describing to us. And then what do we see next? In verse 13 it says this, it says, As I watched... I heard an eagle that was flying in mid-air call out in a loud voice, whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast that's about to be sounded by these other three or final three angels. In other words, the message goes out. If you think it's been bad so far, wait till you see what's coming next. As earth is getting increasingly inhospitable for human life, the message of the messengers is clear. Everybody, pay attention. Everybody should be paying attention. Everybody really now is this, whoa, 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 you inhabitants of the earth. Everybody should really be thinking about what is coming next and what does that mean for my life? Again, I asked you as we started off, what would it take for God to get your attention? And how would you act? And how would you react? God's trying to get the attention of the people of the earth. The term woe suggests that what's coming next is even worse than what we've seen so far. These woes are the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh of the trumpet judgments. So let's look at the first of the woe judgments, which is the fifth trumpet judgment. Look at verse uh, chapter nine, verse one. It says the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And now things get kind of interesting. And now you start piecing together some other scriptures. Most believe that this star, again, stars are often referred to as demons or fallen angels. Most believe this star is a demon or a fallen angel. Some even believe it's Satan himself. And this star is given permission by God. He's given the key to the bottomless pit to free those who have been held captive there. And you hear that and go, okay, what are you talking about? Well, the New Testament tells us in various places, I'll just take a minute to describe some of it. I don't have time to go in depth. But it tells us that within this pit, or this abyss, or or hell, or the abode of of the dead, or Gehenna, whatever term you want to use, there's a special place within this location where these disobedient fallen angels are held. In other words, it appears that there are certain fallen angels that have been so particularly evil that God chose to lock them up and confine them in this place. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it tells us God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into the gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held. Until when? Until the day of judgment. Day of the Lord, day of judgment, talking about the same period of time in the last of the last days. It's why when Jesus cast the demons out of a demon-possessed man, and some of you might know that story in Luke chapter 8, Those demons said to Jesus, they begged Jesus not to send them into this bottomless pit. They're like, let us keep wreaking havoc. Don't lock us up. We don't want to go there. And during this woe judgment, God is permitting these worst of the worst, fallen angels, these demons, to exit the pit and begin to wreak havoc upon the earth. It goes on in revelation chapter 9 verse 2 and it says when the abyss opened smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions on the earth they are told not to harm the grass of the field or any plant or tree but only those people who did not have the seal of god on their foreheads they were not allowed to kill them but to only torture them for five months and the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes so John is describing these creatures these demons these following angels as they're like scorp they're like locusts and yet they have a sting and they have the power like a scorpion and it's God who's allowing whatever these are to have the power since God's the one who allowed them to come out of the pit in the first place and to bring God's judgment upon humanity but notice here Their power is given specific instructions and specific limitations, and that's what we need to remember. God is in charge of everything and everyone, even the demons. For example, verse 4 says that they are not allowed to hurt the vegetation of the earth, but only certain people who don't have the seal of God. Verse 5 even says you can't, during this period of time, you can't kill anybody for five months. All you can do is torment them, and that torment, John says, is going to be like a scorpion sting, Scorpion stings, they're not, they're not usually lethal, but they are painful. Can you imagine living with scorpion stings or being stung by a scorpion every day for five months? You're going to want to die for sure, but what does Scripture say? It says, during those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. You're going to want to die when this is, five months is going on, but you can't. And I think about that, and it's intriguing to me to think, man, how in the world is God going to do that? And that's just, again, that's the God component that we can't possibly comprehend. John does his best to go on to describe these creatures in verses 7 through 11. And As I mentioned, many believe that these creatures are demons and not literal locusts or literal scorpions. Even though people will try to describe them as such and people will try to use different terms and and first of all if they were scorpions or or locusts they wouldn't be coming out of the pit and scorpions don't have a sting that lasts for five months and not only that others will say well well, let's think of this in natural terms and they'll read this and go well man that kind of looks or sounds like maybe that can be like a weapon of war like a helicopter and i just you know maybe that's true but i'll just throw this out to you helicopters don't come out of the pit number one And secondly, they don't result in a five-month-long sting. And here's something else to consider. The damage on the earth up to this point is so bad, it's really inconceivable that anything mechanical is still working or functioning. I don't want you to lose sight of what I just said there. Maybe you've never heard that before. But here's what I want you to think about. Because of these judgments, the world is in ruins it's highly likely that technology as we know it is gone. At this point, electricity is probably gone, which means there's no power. Running water is very likely gone. It means, you know, technology's gone. It means cell phones, satellites, Netflix, it's all gone. It's gonna be like living prior to the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. And again, whatever these creatures are in chapter 9, the safest bet most likely is they they are demons, fallen angels. And in the midst of the suffering that's been happening, these creatures are going to inflict even greater suffering. And so here's the question for you and I to think about today. Why does God bring such punishment upon humanity, including not allowing people to die for a window of time? What purpose does that serve? Well, I would suggest to you, if you think that's cruel, what would you consider to be mercy? Should God let them die? You see, because if they die, they'll be relieved from their physical pain, but the eternal torment will be far worse. Is it possible that God is mercifully preventing death for a window of time, once again, giving people the opportunity to taste the ungodly of, Of what death brings in the hopes that people would repent and turn their life to Jesus and give their life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So God is giving people again a moment of time to get right with Him because what comes next tells us in verses 13 through 19, the sixth trumpet judgment, second woe judgment, is that these angels are released. And as they're released, there's going to be these four demons, if you will, and they're going to kill a third of humanity. And they're going to use this 200 million man or 200 million um, something people think is people. A lot of people think it's 200 million, you know, demons, if you will. And they're going to wreak havoc on the earth like we've never seen before. So the first woe judgment was resulted in suffering, but now the suffering is going to get even worse. God is trying to get people's attention. Do people finally wake up to what God is doing? Do they finally say, man, I want to get right with God? Well, look at the next verse. It says, the rest of humanity were not killed by these plagues. The rest of humanity who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. What does God have to do to get your attention? What does God have to do? He's nudging you every single day through His Holy Spirit. He'll do it through His Scripture. Uh, He'll use the Holy Spirit to speak to you through other people, through worship, through the study of God's Word. God is trying to nudge you and get your attention every day. How are you going to respond and how are you going to act and how are you going to react to God's gentle voice that is speaking to you? Because there comes a time when the subtlety is over and God's going to unleash And I want to invite you today to listen to the Holy Spirit speaking into your life and lean into Him and press into Him. In a moment, we're going to participate in communion. And it's the reminder of of how we can do that and why we can do that because God loved us so much that He would die so we could live. Let's pray about that now. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.